0: Last week, we kicked off our, our series in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to turn there. Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we're going to be in this gospel, an incredible gospel, for quite, quite some time, as Pastor shared with us last week. So I want to just get us going by reading some of the verses we're going to be looking at today. Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in, in verse 6. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He, um, He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world is made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which is own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, filled with grace and truth. And John testified concerning him and cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Try and get your head around that one. (laughs) Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. What does it mean to be in tune? Well, I talk about being in tune this morning. You know, I was in high school. It was around Christmas time, and my girlfriend at the time came up to me and said, Hey, I'm singing in the choir. I signed up for the choir. We're singing Handel's Messiah. And my response was, What? Handel's Messiah. It's classical music. Well, for me, classical music was like Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, the police, you know, handle who? I had no idea. Incredible piece of music. So, you know how sometimes girlfriends have a little influence on the guys. And so, I find myself signing up for the choir, and I get there, and the very first rehearsal, the choir director is very patient. He's leading everyone, kind of getting a sense for what he's got in the room. And as we're going along, he stops and says, okay, okay, hold on. He said, Brown? And what he wanted to say was, what are you doing here? Who invited you? You can't hold a tune worth nothing. You're off key constantly. What's the matter with you? But because he was patient, he said, Brown, I want you to go move and stand next to Donnie. Now Donnie could play an incredible piano, had perfect pitch, was always on tune. So what he's doing is he's getting a guy who was a knucklehead and he's putting him next to a guy who sings great, knowing that I will then probably have a better chance of being on tune because I'm singing next to a guy who's always on tune. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, that you sing over us in your great love for us. That you who has perfect pitch, and brings to us the songs of heaven that you wanna place in our heart. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would bring us in tune with the heartbeat of heaven, with the songs of heaven, with the music of heaven. That by your grace and truth, you would bring us so that we would be people who would hear the tunes that you're singing over our life. And so Holy Spirit, come and sing. Come and sing over your people. This morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. There was a man sent by God, his name was John. So at the very beginning of this gospel, he shows us the the value of a human witness, the value of a person coming into the story and bearing witness to what he's doing because the story is is about God encountering people coming and living amongst us. And so it's crucial for him that that humans are part of that, even as today we're called to be part of his redemptive story in in our day and age. And so he includes him in the story. And so what what God has done is he has a, a plan and a purpose for us that he lays out, and it's kind of like following a track that he has for us. You know, were you ever, either at Disneyland or or some other amusement park, ever driven on those cars that little kids drive in? They have a little steering wheel that goes round and round and round, and you following this track. And, and as a kid, you feel like you feel like you're driving the car. Actually, what you're doing is you're just gently nudging it this way and that way because the track has already been laid out for you, really. And it's been pre-designed and predetermined where you're going to end up, which is back at the, at the beginning, right? But as a kid, you think I'm driving this car. Look at me, you know. You're going around, around like this. It's all very, very exciting. The problem is that in life, we have a real steering wheel and we can actually go off of what God's plans and purposes are for us. And as soon as we do that, you know what we end up doing? We end up doing bumper cars. You ever done bumper cars? Bumper cars, man, that can be a violent sport. That's a contact sport, bumper cars, which is actually hugely fun when you're a kid. But I remember going with a family to drive bumper cars and we get in this and I began to watch the preteens and the teens of these parents. And I think, you know, I think there's a little vengeance being worked out here. 12-year-old boy just headed for his dad like this and smashed his dad from behind. His dad's neck went like this. I thought someone's gonna be visiting the chiropractor tomorrow. Yeah. This guy has whiplash for sure. People were just felt like they're they're getting their aggressions out on the bumper cars or smashing each other, or those sorts of things. So when we're left to our own devices, we end up doing bumper cars. God has another plan in mind, and John is part of fulfilling God's design and plan for us, which is always redemptive. It always changes our lives for the better. So he comes to testify, it says in verse seven, as a witness concerning the light that we might all believe through him. He wasn't the light himself, but he's pointing to the light. You know what's crazy about John the Baptist is, as a prophet, he is one of the few ones that is actually prophesied about even before he came. There's only like one other example that I can think of in scripture. So Isaiah, over 700 years before John the Baptist comes, prophesies that this guy is going to come and be, prepare the way for the Messiah. Then Malachi, 400 years before Jesus, comes and prophesies that there'll be a forerunner, someone by the name of John the Baptist that's gonna come and prepare the way. So this guy's actually prophesied about more than once in, in, in scripture. The other interesting thing is, is the gospel of John, the author John, never calls John the Baptist, the Baptist. In in fact, if you were to look at the, what we call the synoptic gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would see that they're interested in saying who John is. The gospel of John is interested in saying why he is. And the primary thing that the gospel of John emphasizes that this guy is a witness giving testimony to the light, that he is pointing forward. I remember I was driving up here in the mountains some years ago and and it was dark. I mean, There was no moonlight, there was no street light. I'm on a very rindy, curvy road up here in the mountains. There's not even any houses right by the road. You know, sometimes you can get perspective by by a a porch light or something like that. There was nothing, I mean, nothing. And I'm driving along, and as I'm I'm going along, it gets a little nerve-wracking because there's some very tight corners. And I came up to one that was almost like a switchback. And I know I'm gonna have to turn, but I can't see anything. Mm then my headlights catch reflectors that are on the mountainside. If those reflectors had not been there, I probably would have crashed right into the mountain. But they indicated to me that I needed to turn right. Now those reflectors, which are just pieces of metal and glass, have no light in and of themselves, right? They have no power, they have no electricity, they have nothing. All they do is they reflect the light from my headlights. John the Baptist is reflecting someone else's light. He's pointing forward to one who is coming, who has light in and of himself. We don't carry light by ourselves. We don't have that kind of power or energy that comes by the Holy Spirit. So he knows he wasn't the light himself, very much like solar panels or solar lights that gets energy from the sun's rays and then stores it up for later use. We're invited to receive the Holy Spirit and walk in that because there's light there and we draw on that as we go on through our day. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what he invites us into. And then John, the author, changes it up a little bit in verse nine. He says, Now he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Ah, now we've just moved from John the Baptist to Jesus. Jesus is the true light. He has light in and of himself. And notice he says he was coming. We're reminded that John the Baptist and Jesus, who are cousins, their births were about six months apart. Their ministries overlap, and we'll be looking at that more next week. We'll see how much their ministries overlap. John the Baptist probably was in ministry two or three years at least before Jesus arrives on the scene. And so he's pointing forward to the one who was coming and is going to come into the picture. So he was in, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, ah. So this one that's coming into the world is the Messiah, who's gonna take on flesh, but he's also the one who made the world, which reminds us just several other passages, but just, I'll just take one, Hebrews one, points out the same fact. In the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So fully God, fully man, we recognize that this is our creator who is coming in the world. And as he does it, it says, verse uh, 11, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not even recognize him. So when you've hung out with your family members, as so many of us just did over the holidays, has has anyone ever said to you, you're just like your dad, or you're just like your mom? (laughs) Have anyone said that to you? I I have. You know the first thing we all do? No, I'm not. What are you talking? We're indignant. How dare you say such a thing? I have never once, I have never once heard anyone say, oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. I've never heard anyone say that. I always hear, are you crazy? I'm nothing like them, what are you talking about? Why do we do that? Because almost always there's negative connotations, right? When we think about, you're just like your, you're just like your dad. That's not a good thing generally when you hear hearing that, right? So he comes to his own family and they don't even recognize him. What we'll see later on in the passage even in the Gospel of John where his brothers didn't recognize actually who he was. His mom was the first one clued in, probably his dad soon thereafter, but not, not, his other, not his siblings, right? So his own family, his own tribe rejects him. The religious leaders re- reject him. They don't know what to do with him. Yet, yet, John says, verse 13, yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children. So we, we receive, we believe, and we become part of the family. And, and, and in Colossians, Paul grabs this really well, he says this, and and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, that's the family, in the kingdom of light. So this, this light we're talking about is a kingdom, it is God's presence and his purpose worked out. So just like we are reflectors, that we don't create the light but we reflect the light, we're also receivers. We receive something, and that makes all the difference in the world. So explain something to me. How, how, do, I, how do I get a phone call, or a text, or, or, or an email on this? How, how does this thing happen? That, how is it that we are, we're wireless? And, and I think we all know there's, there's radio waves, also called electromagnetic waves, that send out signals. So I talk and a signal goes to a tower, which then sends the signal to the person that I have just called. And those signals are translated so they're intelligible to somebody else, but they're sent out as waves. And and the word for those electromagnetic waves is photons, which is the same source as light. So going wireless means that you've stepped into the light. It has the same velocity, by the way. magnetic waves and light travel at the same speed. Jesus has made you wireless. <laughs> that we receive the signal from the Holy Spirit, so we receive the signal from the Holy Spirit. And if we learn to listen to that and understand that signal, we're able to communicate that to somebody else. He has designed us so that we might receive his truth, that we might walk in it a woman was was listening to her her co-worker at the cubicle next to her uh, at work, talking to another co-worker about what it meant to receive Christ. And once this guy had left, she she turned to her co-worker and said, well, what do you you mean by receiving Christ? He said, well, your last name's Franklin. She said, yeah. How did you get that name? Well, the, the day I got married, the minister asked me, will you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? And I, I said, I, I will. And at that, that moment, I, I got the name Franklin. He says, so you didn't say, well, will I take this man? Well, I hope I'll take him or I'll try to take him, you know, depending on how I'm feeling. And she said, no, 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 I said, I will. And at that moment, I made a choice that I took him as my husband. I said, okay. He says, that's the same thing with Jesus. We exercise our will. And we said, I will. I will follow, he will be Lord. I'm making that decision by an act of my will, that, that he is Lord. That's how I'm making that decision. She said, well, that, that's really simple. He said, yeah, but then walking it out is hard. But you gotta start somewhere. We have to receive that we are part of that family. That's why he says, uh, children born not of a natural descent, verse 13, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So how does that happen? How do we, how do we experience that? Well, we know for one thing that we decide that that these words are, are not simply words on a page, but at some point you have to decide that, yes, this is truth and it's truth for me and it's true for me today. That sometimes you have to describe that that's what's happening here is just more than ink on, on a piece of paper. That's why I talk about the fact that Jesus came and he declares the kingdom of God, he pronounces it, but he also demonstrates it by healing people, driving out, out evil, doing all these things that he can both declare it and demonstrate it. And that's when it becomes real for us. Because for us, this book becomes real when we begin to actually experience it. I remember a woman brought a friend to church, woman, this friend had never been to church before and was touched by things going on and brought her forward for prayer, asked me to pray for her. I began to pray for her and this woman began to cry. And she cried and she began to cry uncontrollably. And in between her tears says, I don't know why I'm crying. She said, I've never felt this before, what is going on? She felt like something was going on that I was like, well, someone explain this to me. And we talked about the fact that God loved her so much that he wanted her to know that he's real and that he's here right now and you can actually step into a relationship. And it, like, it, it completely um, shifted her thinking that, that God was not a name on a page, but he's present, he, he is real. I, I had a, a, a person who had been a, a christian for years and and you know i don't really pray for people other people pray you know i, I don't i don't really do, i don't pray that out loud thing you know and and someone came up and, and asked this person if would you pray for me what is she going to do? say no all right i'll pray for you so prays for the person and both of them get slammed by the spirit The person praying and the person being prayed for were slammed by the Holy Spirit in such a way that the person who did the praying later came to me and said, you would not believe this. And she was just like lit up. What had happened? The Holy Spirit made her a receiver and recognized that this is, what we're talking about here is not words on a page. It's real. It's real. And it's for today. It's for right right now. C.S. Lewis The Oxford professor, author of many books, says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. And what we're talking about is we're talking about the kingdom of God. That's the other world he's talking about, the kingdom of God that is here right now because Jesus came, took on flesh and walks amongst us and is here with us now. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That word dwelling is literally the word "tabernacle," and what, what he's doing, the tabernacle was a huge tent that Israel worshiped God in for decades. And it became the place where God lived. And so John is stealing that language, very Jewish language and saying God made his dwelling, his tabernacle, his temple right here. And where is that? It's in you. It's in you. That's what he's trying to get across. It's in us. He came and and dwelt among us. Now he dwells in us. He he dwells for us. That's that's why he's here. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, filled with, with grace and truth. So let's talk about that grace and truth for just a minute. Let me talk about truth and grace. Truth and grace must be practiced together. Truth without grace is judgment. Because I can say all of the sorts of things that are right and true, but I can also be really mean about it. See, the law brings wrath. A lot, a lot of truth to it, but had no grace. Putting truth before grace or truth before relationship brings pain. Because I can speak truth that is just mean and harsh to somebody, but isn't gonna bring any healing to them, isn't gonna really help them. Grace without truth leads to license. What do I mean by that? The words out of, out of Galatians. Galatians 5 says, do not use our freedom to indulge the flesh. So in other words, God didn't say, give you grace so I could, I'll do whatever. Our culture is a culture of whatever. We do whatever we want, whatever we feel like, which ultimately ends up hurting us and somebody else. He says, that's not what we're talking about either. With grace alone, we're safe from condemnation, but we can't experience true intimacy. Instead, we need the relationship that is unbroken connection, grace, to the one who is reality, truth. These cannot be divided. They come together. So these words that he is filled with grace and truth is not an accident. It's how God operates in our life and heals us because together truth and grace bring a healing to the brokenness of our past and our lives, to the damage of the fall. Truth and grace are God's healing agents in our, of our life. So 16, he says, out of the fullness, We have received grace in place of grace already given. In other words, God has an inexhaustible supply of grace and truth. And his grace to his people is continuous and is never exhausted. Grace and truth, no no interruption and no limit. That's what he means on grace upon grace. An example is this, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's grace upon grace. That's an abundance that that we have through Christ Jesus. So grace then, grace is something you can never get but only be given is unconditional love and acceptance. Grace is the first ingredient necessary for growing up in the image of God. Grace is unbroken, uninterrupted, unearned relationship. Grace is the relational aspect of God's character. And it shows itself in unconditional connection to us. We we need it, grace gives us a direction so we don't fall back into old patterns. And truth helps in that. And truth is a necessary part of that. So a little bit more on truth. Truth is necessary. For growing up in the image of God, truth is what is real. It it describes how things really are. Just as grace is the relational aspect of of God's character, truth is the structural aspect of his character. In other words, God's truth contains the form that our soul and spirit should take. Otherwise, we lose track of where we're going and we go start doing bumper cars in life and damaging other people and giving them whiplash. We need grace and truth, uh, truth is that form that God has made that we live in, that we flourish in, that we need so badly. So he continues in verse 17 by saying, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, there it is again, come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but he, the one and only son who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father. I uh, had met somebody um, new and was talking to him and as I'm talking to him and learning a little bit of his story, I, I thought of a friend of mine. I thought, boy, this guy's quite a bit like this friend of mine. And so uh, a couple weeks later, I, I see this new guy and I see my friend. I thought I'm going to connect them. So I introduced them to each other in a way of introducing. I said, hey, you guys, uh, you guys should meet each other because you both went to Cal State LA. And and the other guy said, no, no, I, I went to San Diego State. I said, oh, okay, yeah. Well, it's your wives, right? Your wives know each other. No, I'm not married. I said, oh, okay. What, did you guys play on the same football team? No, I played baseball. You know, I, I, this is getting a little awkward at this point. I'm like, I'm, inside, I'm saying, Doug, it's time to shut up. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I clearly, I clearly did not remember the details of the conversation as they went, or I'd got it mixed up with somebody else. I don't know what he was, but I didn't know what I was talking about. And I was trying to connect you guys, right? I have two older brothers. They need to say they've known me all, all my life. If I didn't talk to them for a year, and I picked up the phone and called them, it would be like I talked to them yesterday. They know everything about me, I know everything about them, all the stuff, and they know all the stuff about me. I know how they think. Uh, I I can tell inside jokes to them, they do the same thing with me, and we know exactly what we're talking about, and we can do it in like three or four languages, because we were raised overseas in a number of different places. So sometimes when we talk with people, we'll talk in another language they don't understand what we're saying, but we have have that inside track. I know them, in other words, and if I introduced you to them, I would know what I'm talking about. With this other person, I clearly didn't know what I was talking about. God and Jesus are like this. Jesus shows us perfectly who the Father is. How can he do that? He's not only in closest relationship with the Father, this verse says, he is the Father. And so what Jesus does is he comes and walks amongst us, as he's been doing today by his spirit. And what he wants to do is he wants to redeem our time. He wants to redeem our today. And see, grace and truth are meant to be exercised today. They're they're meant to redeem our time today. And see, so often what we do is, because we're either grieving or beating ourselves up for something in the past, or we're exercising a lot of anxiety and stress about the future, we fail to live today. i give you an example. When we fail to live today in the moment, particularly as kids growing up and then as we go through life, there's stages of development along the way. And unless we go through all those stages of development where grace and truth is able to nurture us and form us, when we skip that and we have to adult too soon, it really messes people up. When we find find people who have have struggled with substance abuse, what happens is substance abuse, self-medicating in any form, takes us out of today because we don't want to deal with the pain of today. And when we do that, we stop growing. We become stagnant because we've stopped the exercise of grace and truth in today. That's what addiction does. That's what self-medicating does. We fail to live in today. And grace and truth wasn't just for yesterday, and it's not being saved for tomorrow. It's for today. And that's why Jesus comes and dwells amongst us. He sets up his tent right where we are that we might know him today and experience that grace and truth today. Why? So that we'll be in tune with heaven. Are you in tune? Joshua Bell, when he was a little boy, about four or five, he would take rubber bands of different thickness and he'd, he'd put them be- between the knobs and the dresser, kind of get them taut, and then he kind of strike them like that. he put them between the doorknob and different things in the home, and, he, and, and he'd, he'd put these rubber bands in different places, and he'd, he'd go and he'd, he'd touch them and he'd string them to see what kind of noise and, and sound he got out of these. And his mom watched the, him doing this in different places in the house. Not only did she get tired of the rubber bands, but she thought, this kid has music happening in him. So she bought him an old violin. She, had a, she could tell it was strings, so she bought him an old violin. Today, Joshua Bell plays a $4 million Stradivarius. He's made 40 albums. He's a Grammy Award winner. At 14, he was playing with orchestras. He now is is not simply one of the best violinists in the world and a composer and a conductor and a multimillionaire. If you went to one of his concerts, you'd easily pay over 100 bucks just for the pleasure of listening to him because what is inside of him has come out. He, he went down to the subway in Washington, DC and, and uh, tried something out. He, he, he took his $4 million Stradivarius and he took the, his case and he put it out there like people do so people could throw their pennies in there. And for 45 minutes, he, he played. As he playing for 45 minutes, they videotaped this and they counted over a thousand people walked right by him on their rush to go and grab their, their, their train. Seven, seven. Out of over a 1,000 people stopped to actually listen. And one recognized the music. And recognized who he was. Why? He's not supposed to be in a dirty subway. He's supposed to be in a concert hall somewhere. This is the wrong place. We didn't expect him to be here. This is not where, where famous... Uh, violinists hang out, world-class violinists hang out. They don't hang out in dirty subways. They're supposed to be in these pristine concerts hall. And he's in the wrong place. He's not even supposed to be here. What has he done? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as they're doing that, let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that in, in the distress and the damage of, of listening to the voices and the music of, of this world, which is so out of tune from your heart, that, that we're people who find that, that we're not in tune to the songs of heaven. And Lord, in our distress, we have missed the song that you're singing Because a song that you sing over our lives is always marked by grace and truth, which is meant for today. Would you repeat a prayer? after me. Lord Jesus, come and sing your song over my life. Holy Spirit, come and bring the songs of heaven into my heart.